0: Well, I will now be in the position of um, being forced to look things up surreptitiously on my iPhone as opposed to looking them up surreptitiously on my computer. Well. Which, but if you can't see me, then I guess you wouldn't, you wouldn't know either way. Right, that's true. You,
1: You didn't have to tell me that. Welcome to this week's episode of Fear, Honor, and Interest, the podcast for two straight white guys who went to Yale solve America's cultural divisions by eventually getting to their listener mail. I'm your host, Charles Bowinger, coming to you from Washington, D.C. with me on the line as always from Istanbul, my co-host, David Wheel. David, how is it going?
0: I'm quite well. It's great to be back after our little hiatus, and uh, it was such a delight to see a um, reader comment. Yeah, no, I know, I... Uh...
1: The, so the background for everyone on the listener comments, every episode, you know, in the show comments, I give you the email address, for your honor and interest podcast at gmail.com to email your feedback. And um, until uh, uh, recently, only one person had ever, well, two people had ever emailed it. The main Google like setup team and uh, David's father had emailed this <laughs> comment Um all of my friends who listen to the show tend to just tell me what they thought about an episode uh, directly. Um, but this time, while we were discussing what people have told us about the show in general, um, I went and checked the email thing for the first time in a little bit, because we haven't had a show in a while, um, because we've both alternatingly been out of town or busy. Um, and uh, And we had a very long, very thorough reader comment sent on August 6th about our discussion on firearms, Um, which of course I enjoyed reading in part because I don't remember saying any of the things that he was critiquing. I think they were all David comments. So, you know, we we will get to um, feedback on that next episode because um, the person spent a really long time writing a a nice email about it that um, we should address, but um, we just discovered it as we were setting up the show. So... um, to our surprise and and pleasure. Um, so we'd rather actually properly get through all of that before we address it. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited. Somebody somewhere that we don't know found the show. It's the first time I've, I've heard of that. Um, uh, so that's pretty good for me. Um, and, uh, today's show, by the way, um, there's no video portion of the show. We don't even record the video portion because that would just make the file huge for no reason. Um, but this week, David is coming to you from his phone rather than his computer, um, <laughs> which has a a side effect that uh, most of you won't notice. First off, the picture of David is very clear. Um, he is a handsome man today on oh. his um, on video. Oh, you can see his like, five o'clock shadow, and oh, yeah. everything just shows up so much better. Sadly, yeah. you can also see the wedding ring, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> Um, as I say, because as I say that he lifts his hand up and you can see it. Um, but, um, the one side effect of all of this is that David's picture is coming in, um, sideways. (laughs) So throughout the entire podcast, he's going to see me just like turn my head 90 degrees out of just pure habit.
0: Oh, that (laughs) is, well, that's funny because it's showing me to me. Well, we don't need to talk about this. Well, I I think your phone is probably, you're probably holding it horizontally, right? Oh, I am holding it horizontally. Yeah. I appear right side up and you are sideways. Oh. Me, so. Well, see, that's,
1: we've all learned it something like about different perspectives we've today. learned
0: something about perspectives today. Which, if only, we could have different perspectives more often. This is true. In order to give our listeners a more interesting, dynamic, engaging, and, um, at times perhaps combative, uh, experience.
1: That's true. One of the, probably the number two piece of feedback we get after David talks too slowly is that um, we need to disagree more, Um, which is is an absolutely fair point. We mostly do this show for ourselves because we assume not that many people are listening. Um, And so it's more about us having the the discussion that we get to think through um, and share with a few friends. Um, But it's absolutely true that it would be more useful for the listeners if we disagreed more. And uh, I'm sure at some point we will especially if we ever talk about our alternative universe in which um Hillary Clinton wins and only wins a single term uh that will be one we we get into quite a bit um and uh you know we we we've, we've talked about having guests on the show at some point to particularly people with different points of view uh but setting something like that up is a little complicated so who knows when that'll when or if that'll ever actually happen but we are um attentive to that concern uh Yeah. And now David is at like a 45 degree angle, which is much better. I actually like it. It looks I was hoping
0: cool. I was hoping you would mention that because I think this is the um, to some extent, this is the uh, sort of the indication of. I mean, it's it just a, it's a symbol of the kind of political conversation that we need to have that a moment mm-hmm. ago, you know, I saw myself as right side up and you as upside down. Or sideways, you know you saw the opposite now we are both we've both we've we've discussed our differences we've discussed our different perspectives and have reached now a solution where yeah. we're both a little you know cockeyed yeah,
1: it's wonderful we're both sort of yeah. tilted in the eye uh, it's great we're
0: we're both a little tilted. But at least for me, we're tilted towards one another, oh. so our foreheads. In are, my view, we
1: are actually kind of. I guess that that does work. We sort of form a parallel, form, form a diagonal line. Right. Um. So that's that's. Uh, so tech issues out of the way. Yeah, um, what, a, what a brilliant. Let's. Yes, introduction let's here. This is this is tremendous. Anybody who's still listening, this is a good six minutes into the show now. I think. And, <laughs> um. And all we've done is we've is, is had a conversation about technical aspects of the show, which is, I mean, if you if we were already navel-gazing to start with, like, we've basically reattached the umbilical cord and we're just staring at it right now. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that analogy works, but, or metaphor, it well, was a metaphor, good. sorry. Um, I know some people will be very upset if I refer to a metaphor as an analogy. Um, but... uh But, yes, so we're back after a couple of weeks. Um, They've been eventful on the world stage because every week is eventful on the world stage because we have a crazy person in the White House who (laughs) does crazy things. Um, I mean, just as we were setting up the show, um, I saw a a new tweet from him this morning where he has misspelled White House counsel in yelling about a New York Times story. And people are – yeah, that's – the typos it's like the way the interesting part is that he didn't even misspell council in the way where you spell it like the other type of council he just created a new word <laughs> he spelled it c o u n c e l
0: that's kind of strange <laughs> it's, but it's, yeah this is the world well, we I, live yeah, in but it's but I think that's a pretty um, I got to say that's a pretty like irrelevant point of critique Oh, I mean, oh, yeah, everything like, just, else about it right is much worse than that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's right out there, and um, people, so it's, this is, I don't think he's playing four-dimensional, 13-steps-ahead chess, but uh, at the same time, it is, I think, something that exposes some of the fault lines in the kinds of people who hate him and the kinds of people who hate the kinds of people who, who hate, hate him. Trump. Yes. Yeah. They're not um,
1: anti-Trump, but they're anti-anti-Trump.
0: Right. I think that is a. I, I. I do still think that that's a significant part of his hardcore support base. I agree. So, um,
1: in fact, one. And of there's also, not much to
0: do about it yeah, I'm sure.
1: I mean, if you were playing four-dimensional chess, he could put a, a a misspelling like that in on purpose because it would distract people from all the other horrible things he's saying. Because instead we talk about the typo, because the typo is the easy thing to see.
0: right? And I think I mean that's actually easy enough that he might in fact do that. I mean that's that, you don't have to give him too much credit to suspect that he may in fact do that. Mm. Um, in part because, you know, spell check on on iPhones or yeah, because it is an iPhone he uses. Um, um
1: I don't know.
0: There was a, I remember there being a um some comment about this that he was talking about Apple, but, you know, he had an iPhone and I'm pretty sure it's, I'm pretty sure it's an iPhone. It may not be. And, uh, you know, I, I look forward to our Android fanatic, uh, new listener who discovers us on, uh, the internet because of this flop, but informing me of my, of my grievous error here. But in any case, um, you know, it's possible that he had to override a spell check, in order, in order to generate this,
1: because it would have given you the red uh, this lines, non-word.
0: Because it... well, it would have given you the red lines, or automatically,
1: oh, yeah, replaced
0: yeah. it with one or the other counsel. I mean, it, as you said, it might have you know, a spell check could have uh, led to the error in which he uses the wrong, spe- you know, the the other homonym um, or the you know the other homophone in this uh, case. Um, but it yeah. but spell check would would not have led like a completely non word pass presumably so it i mean it's possibly actually overrode it in order to trigger this yeah, I was
1: response. just trying I was just picking up my phone here and examining it, and if you t- if you spell counsel the way he did in you know your text app, then um it will try to correct it to the wrong kind of counsel the c i l counsel and yeah. um and so he would have had to be like. So he, one could imagine him going, "Oh, well, I know it's not that council," and then overriding the spell check. Um, of course, even then, you'd expect to get the red lines underneath it.
0: But yeah. In any anyway, event, point, we all make typos. Some some of this is <laughs> I mean, the point is that some of this, I think, is his um, understanding of media dynamics and trolling skill. His sort of. Right. Innate tro- trolling skill. Um, and some of it is just the order that emerges out of the chaos where you have, you know, 70% of the country that hates him for a variety of reasons, including despising him for his uh, boorishness and vulgarity and seeming stupidity. And then the 30% that sticks with him um, loving him all the more because of the kinds of criticisms that they see from, you know, people focusing on, or people who seem to focus on his spelling. Um, when of course, in reality, it's like, yeah, there's a million other things that are more important, but there it is right in front of me. I'm going to comment on
1: it. Right. It's very easy yeah. to say he got that wrong because he unequivocally got it wrong. Right. You know, the rest of the thing you could debate. Um, but that's the one people are going to want to talk about very easily. So, yeah. Anyway, that's that's we have just deconstructed our own elitist view of <laughs> yeah. spelling, where we believe there's only one. We, in our authoritarian sensibilities, believe there is only one correct way to spell the word he was trying to spell. But language lives in. I'm going to hold myself back. I'm going to hold myself back. Right, and we could get into a fight here. We could we could get into arguments about. I, I mean. One of the things, if you want to see two liberals get into a fight about something, like just start talking about little nuances of language and whether or not it's appropriate for language to evolve and change spellings. Um, yeah. I mean, boy, I yeah. There was
0: you. a there was a brilliant on this note. I actually I, I think it's worthwhile to take uh, out a second to uh, recommend something to our listeners um, on this topic. There was a very strange. Uh, kerfuffle involving the nation magazine a few weeks ago where they published this poem written by a Scandinavian poet. If I'm not mistaken, I have not heard about this. So that was, uh, the poem was basically written as if from one American, um, homeless person advising another Homeless hmm. person on how to beg. And the, the sort of moral tone of the poem was um, these two people who are sharing an experience of being ignored, talking about how to um, sort of sell yourself to the moral sensibility of the passers-by in order to get them to pity you and, and give you money. It' was a very complex so it's very complex. Uh, poem and in terms of the you know moral positioning and and who was speaking to whom and um and how um, but it became it became a lightning rod for um, for the at least some of the readers of the nation because they uh identified the language as indicating that the speaker in the poem was black and then they saw that the author was a white male and said this is totally inappropriate you know this is appropriation and it's wrong and um you know this is sort of some absurd attempt at rendering um sort of ebonics Mm. and it's demeaning and um in response and so the this is the, the editors of the nation said you know issued an apology and said it was a mistake to publish the poem and then, in response to this, John McWhorter, who's this really interesting uh, guy? He's a linguist, and among other things, is um, you know has studied American Black English. And he came out and said, actually, this is perfect Black English. You know, it's not minstrelsy. It's not the kind of uh, sort of pigeon English that you would see reproduced in um, in minstrel shows. Mm. You know, where it was this sort of, you know, kind of the whatever, the, you know, Amos and Andy, for example, you know, you can go and study that and see, um, representations that are obviously supposed to evoke, um, you know, black American English, but that are totally exaggerated. Um, you know, John McWhorter said, uh, actually, you know, as an expert, as an African American who is an ex, who is also an expert on this, uh, topic, um, I can say this, this passes muster. Uh, It was. was, He wrote a very interesting article. I think it was for the Atlantic that he wrote the article, Um, and it included a a very interesting and um, very persuasive uh, summary of the issue that you referred to a minute ago of how languages change. In addition to the sort of addressing this topic of, um, like, just because it was a white poet don't assume that he was sneering when he reproduced this style of speech because he actually did it very well in a way that was sort of surprisingly good considering that he wasn't an American even. Um, and as a result, if, you know, if this register of black English is to be um, studied academically, which there's no reason it shouldn't be, then, you know, it should be, um we should all be more comfortable with its um, with its representation and not assume that it has the sort of reek of minstrelsy to it. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was a very interesting, very interesting uh, article. Cause yeah. it's so hard to, it's so, it's so hard to take that sort of stain away. Right. I mean, that's right. the, that's the rub um, where it's just, we're so used to it appearing um uh, as the as the sort of set up to a butt of a joke, right, but it's hard to i mean that was that was mcWhorter's point is to say like you know intelligent people speak this way, and it's real English, and it should be studied as such, and in order to study it, you have to reproduce it, and so we should you know we should just get over it and be proud of proud and respectful, but, but not, um, uh, yeah. I mean, I I don't want to use the word hypersensitive, but I can't find
1: another word (laughs) for it. Well, you know, it's, I mean, that's the tricky thing is that the difference between being too sensitive and being appropriately sensitive is one of degree. And it's hard to, um, it's hard to make a hard and fast rule, which is what people want. People want a rule that makes it so that we don't have to, um, we don't have to judge things individually because when we're judging a bunch of things individually, we'll all get different conclusions. And then we'll right. feel that like, oh, no, have we done something wrong? Have we broken a shibboleth of our tribe because we got a different conclusion than everybody else? Right. And also people getting different conclusions leads to people fighting about it, which leads to them arguing, which our listeners would love for us to do. But, <laughs> you know, it it, uh, it it it's, you know, it's kind of scary to not have. We, uh, I mean, some people love to overgeneralize about millennials, but something that I have wondered, and this would not be universal for our um, our cohort, but we're a generation that, um, in addition to all of these tests that we've been taking nonstop since birth, you know, we've had right. the PSAT, into the SAT, into the you know, maybe the the GRE or the GMAT or the MCATs or the LSAT, all of these tests we've been taking nonstop. Um, have been giving us sort of all of these little um, specific ways to learn. Like, we know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to answer this problem in this way. And we've been conditioned Mm -hmm. to have correct responses to things. And so it can be a little scary to then um, be in situations where the answer isn't remotely clear and requires an incredibly long discussion and dialogue at the same time That our culture has gone from long-form articles and letters to these short emails and tweets, where, you know, we we've we don't have that. We we, we've gotten to a point where our generation needs a longer form of communication. At the same time that technology has made communication shorter, Um, which is part of why we do an hour-long podcast because we wanted to, you know, do something more than a couple of texts back and forth um oh did you see what trump said today if we were just texting we could have said we would have been something like oh here's his tweet he said something stupid and instead we got on this wonderful linguistic path where i mean is there any chance we would have brought up john mccorder if we were just you know messaging each other and i just shared that tweet with you like i don't think that would
0: have happened right yeah well i mean if it happened to be in my mind i might have responded to it Uh, possibly you know responded you know with that but um but no, exactly. You, you, we've given this moment the time to unfold, and this question of like, oh, look at Trump misspelling this word," um, has led to this question of uh, how do we ev- how do we um, step back from the habits that we have for evaluating and respecting modes of speech? Uh, which is to say class in in our society. Um, And it's complicated because, you know, again, you have Trump who. um, People make a lot of his um, word salad and, you know, whatever the source of that is. I mean, you can look at his. uh, He's not he's not someone who. He's not, he, he's an unnatural, uh, voice of the common man given his upbringing. Um, so, you know, it's, it's odd that he uh, sort of wraps himself in uh, the lower, you know, the working classes. And then, you know, he said, what do you say? To the, like, I I love, uh, uneducated people. I think that was his quote. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's odd that he, that he affects that pose, um, but he's highlighted an important um problem of you know how do we uh how do we respect people who talk differently than we do you know and he he he's highlighted that and takes credit for highlighting it in the context of you know the white working class deserves more respect um but as someone who is mostly critical of uh, everything he does. This is like the, um, it's like the anchor man, you know, 60% of the time it works a hundred percent of the time, yeah. you know, 60% of the time I am critical of him a hundred percent of the time, but more like 90% of the time I'm critical of him. 110% of the time. It's more like
1: 95% of the time. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um,
0: anyway, um, uh, you know, the problem that Trump presents to American society is also the problem of how do we, um, you know, how do we deal with uh, a society where people speak multiple languages and um, you know make claims on uh, on the resources of the society um, and want to direct resources in very different ways um, you know these are these are actually, these are real questions and um, Trump is is posing posing questions and hopefully we'll be getting answers that he doesn't Want that he doesn't like. You know, hopefully, the American people will give him answers that he uh, will be very dismayed by in a couple months. Well, your but, your point about
1: different languages reminds me of um, our friend Irina from uh, from Yale.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: she had a tweet that that got some traction uh, recently, where she she's a or this is our friend Irina Dimitrescu. She's a, um, a professor in Germany of medieval studies. And um, she had a tweet, I don't remember the exact wording, but it basically said that what a lot of medieval scholars know that the rest of the world would benefit from a greater understanding of is that um, multiculturalism and multilingualism is, uh, is, is the norm throughout all of history. This idea that we should be one people with one language is a fairly recent development and you know just doesn't make any sense historically. When people get so upset, oh, we've got so many immigrants who are speaking Spanish and they're not learning English, and um, that's the sort of thing that we've not you know, been as much of a concern in the past, where that's just how that worked. Um, all these empires, like, I'll go really look at the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and you try to think about just how many cultures and languages were present in that while they were trying to hold everything together. Um, many of them yeah, involuntarily well,
0: as well. Yeah, well, I mean... Uh, yeah I, I, now that i now that you mentioned i i, I saw that tweet and I, I liked it and it's a good uh it, it's a good reminder at least that um there's no reason to get worried about multilingualism because we could just expect that Americans speak more languages and our brains would handle it i mean there's no there's that's no what difficulty. happens in europe' there's no real difficulty in that right. um and uh actually going back to the gun debate it's just like if we decide that that's what we want to do we could do it <laughs> we have the resources right. and we have the hardware in our in our bodies you know in our brains to to deal with that it was just a matter of deciding like oh our children should all speak um Spanish and English um, uh if we want to we, we could do it that that being said um <laughs> you know the, I mean the problem with that line of argument and here, let's you know, let's let's have it. let's get ready to disagree. All right, um, let's, get that, let's get ready. You know, in a, in a medieval society where people spoke multiple languages, part of what was going on there was that the masses had no rights and no claims on anything, and part of the you know one of the few ways that they might attempt to Claim their rights would be, you know, to deliver a petition or something. But if they delivered a petition, it would have to be in the language of the court, and there would be a language of the court. It would just be the language of whatever the dyna- dynasty that had taken control of the territory was. And you know, if the peasant came in and um, maybe engaged with some local noble to uh, deliver a petition, you know, in that language, if the noble was improperly educated and made a, you know, made the wrong reference to some poet in the language of the conqueror, you know, then they'd be laughed out of court. Right. I mean that like medieval society was so vastly different in so many ways than than ours that making those kinds of analogies is useful in the way that I mentioned a a minute ago to say like, you know, our brains are capable of it, but at the same time, um, you know, the, the problem of nationalism was created by the transition from earlier political forms to the modern state. And the modern state, wherever you've seen it in the world, has more or less demanded, or at least, I mean, in our history, the modern state demanded centralization, codification, and a certain amount of um, monolingualism, because to codify rights and laws... You know, it involves codifying it in a language and you can say, okay, well, here are two, you know, we're the Austro-Hungarian Empire. We speak German and Hungarian. And so everything has to be in German and Hungarian. Well, what if the translations slightly disagree? And there are tensions, right? So um, it's the problem with that analogy is that that transition um, across early modernity to modernity in the contemporary state was a was a transition that created an enormous amount of pressure and tension that ripped apart those multilingual imperial states it, with tremendous bloodshed and I mean here I am in Turkey where um you know there was no more bloodshed anywhere than than in the lands of the former Ottoman Empire until the Holocaust which arguably is part of the same uh set of tensions I mean it wasn't ex- It wasn't exactly linguistic, but it was, uh, this virus of nationalism achieving its kind of purest form in the, in the Nazis.
1: The virus of desiring that a culture should be
0: closer to monolithic.
1: Right. Right. So, yeah, I don't know that I disagree. I mean, I don't have enough background on some of that medieval court stuff to disagree too strongly. So we may not get the fight we were hoping for. Yeah. but it gave up. Know, uh. That's unfortunate. But it is interesting. I mean, as you're describing all of that, it is interesting to think about um, which of the great powers profited versus the ones that declined during a period of growing nationalism, and that it's at this point that the Austro-Hungarian Empire starts to be on the downswing because it's this multi-ethnic. Well, not necessarily because, but while it is this multi-ethnic, multilingual empire, Germany forms as a state for the first time, really. Um, based on people who are speaking one language for the most part. Like the idea that this is this is the language of people who this is the country for people who speak this language. The people who are German peoples are united in one country. And I'm hoping, hoping a German scholar will write in to really pick apart how wrong I was
0: at every part of that. It's very exciting to think that some random person, you know, across the internet Will somehow catch wind of uh, these things that we're talking about and swoop in to to correct us? Yeah, I I like that.
1: Like I, I welcome. Part of it is because even if I disagree with what they're saying, I'm undoubtedly going to learn a lot of facts that I did not know. Um, which yeah, I think... no, I,
0: I was I was totally serious. I mean, yeah. it, would, it would be it was it was wonderful to get that uh, that reader response. I mean, it's sort of a shame that um, it was on the sort of the gun control issue, which is so fraught yeah. and has such high stakes. Um, but, uh, but going back to something else that you said a, a minute ago, um, you were talking about, you know, I don't remember exact words, so I'll, I'll try to rephrase as I remember it, but you were essentially talking about how difficult it is as a society to, uh, try to apply our norms to the extraordinarily complicated realities of individual episodes. So as an individual, I experience something and I have an idea of how I'm supposed to act according to the society I'm in. But then I'm right there. I'm experiencing the thing. And it strikes me as being more complicated than the, the general principle and then if i want to talk about it to someone else i face the the challenge of um communicating it in a way that that they can understand that effectively um conveys the complexity of of the issue and then once you're talking about you know however many people are on twitter uh if you put that story out there you have no idea how to, what the response is going to be and it's a, it's a genuine challenge um but you know it's a genuine challenge but at the same time it's not like it's ever been anything else. it's just a, right. I mean it's a scale question it's not a it's not a quality question because um you know the founders had their crazy newspapers calling each other hermaphrodites, oh and, yeah, and traitors you know that's one of the things that I
1: think a lot of um Americans don't understand is just how horrible the biased news media was in the, around the origins of this country, because um, it's one of those things where I think we had a bit of an aberration where things calmed down a little bit in the mainstream press in the post-war era. And then things started to get nasty again and people like, Oh, this is this new development. It's like, no, it's just getting, it's still not as bad as it used to be. Like, um, especially when I was at the national portrait gallery yesterday and they have a big um, exhibit on portraits and, Busts and items from the Civil War, and that's one of those things where every time anyone says, "I've never seen it this bad," it's never been this bad in the country. We're so divided. You know, we there was a point when they were the country was living. Everybody was living in such different
0: worlds across the country that they right. actually right. took well, up arms and killed each other. Right, and the you know, has any American president been treated as unfairly as I? Have? Yeah. It's like, well, a couple of them were, were shot. And yeah. <laughs> um
1: yeah two were impeached, but not convicted um right. and uh yeah that's uh Trump is just in his own little universe, which would be fine if he did not have any power <laughs> if he were just locked in a bunker in the basement, just you know imagining he's president and play acting with little dolls on a map, that would be great, but he's not um and we all yeah. have to suffer for it'
0: to suffer for it. Yeah, we've done a good job of not getting in the news to the extent, other than the, like, hyper uh, worthless sort of analysis of a a single tweet. Um, We've been doing very well at that, but, you know, it would also be appropriate to get into some of the issues of the day to try to... um, to try to weigh in because well, it has been quite a quite a say, That's the
1: problem with having three weeks off um is that uh we there's just too much to, I, three weeks ago was was an eternity, it was another lifetime in the Trump administration. I think um yeah. this was that was before anybody was talking about Omarosa again. Now we just yesterday we get this New York Times story about the White House counsel cooperating with Mueller.
0: I mean we're right. we're universes apart from where we were three weeks ago. Right. And I will end the, the decision to, uh, ram through both the firing of Strzok and the removal of John Brennan's security clearance. Right. Those are, those are ones that strike me as being both less, um, sort of, tangible for pe- for most people, uh, but in terms of their significance for the governance of this country, actually much more important than certainly the question of whether Trump used the N word or not, which right. it's like, is there any, is there any bit of evidence that would be more superfluous <laughs> you know, right. for, for us, uh, than, than the answer to that question? um yeah because you know overriding policy decisions in part of the federal bureaucracy it's like okay who could care less about that well how el- you know what else can we rely on in this giant country than the civil service to attempt to ensure that the execution of our laws is done according to the laws themselves as opposed to uh the whims of whatever you know, politician has happened to win the spoils in the last election.
1: Right. And in the Struck thing in particular, I mean, they had a recommendation for what should be done with him and it wasn't to fire him. And so to have them fire him instead, just reeks of them saying, well, we want to placate the president's temper tantrum. So we'll just fire him to get to get rid of that. And of course, the security clearance thing is it's it's one of those things that has led to some of the least productive debate I've ever seen, in part because of how wrong what Trump did was. So in order yeah. to defend what Trump did, and there are people out there who just will always be defending what he did, and it's, and going after those liberals who are attacking him, the response just ends up being, oh, well, he's monetizing a security clearance. He doesn't need a security clearance anymore. He was just trying to make money off of it. Like that's yeah. the. It's amazing how quickly. Um Everybody gets their talking points these days,
0: right exactly,
1: yeah. and the talking points for things like this um, are you know they're almost it's the same talking point which means it's the same flaws in the argument, which means even well, when they make the argument it's the same you correct tone.
0: it. it's the same yeah. kind of talking point because it's the same swampy the intercept r c nonsense oh, excuse me not r c r t um you know nonsense about uh, corruption and uh, unaccountability in the American government. Because, like, there's a real debate about John Brennan, for example. You know, uh, did you read McCraven um, or, um, yeah, McCraven, Edward McCraven's I, I read his op-ed, yes. Yeah. So, you know, he starts off right off the bat, like, uh, something to the effect of, you know, no one can question John Brennan's honesty and integrity, as well as his commitment to serving this nation. And then he continues on. And that was wrong. That is absolutely wrong, because John Brennan lied to the Senate.
1: About about hacking into
0: their computers. About, exactly, about the constitutional function of congressional oversight over the executive. John, I mean, that is a huge problem. John Brennan has an enormous stain on his integrity and his reputation, Um, which I care a lot about because of my, you know, I'm an article one guy, he, Brennan should have, you know, like the CIA is not in the American constitution. Congressional oversight is in the American constitution. Um, so that's a huge problem. And for McRaven to say something like that is just, it's, it's wrong and it's not strategic because it invites this immediate retort of like, well, who are you defending? Really? You know, this is, he's just part of the swamp. Um, but that's not the point because if you want to continue with your point, you know, what's the counter to that argument that everyone's just monetizing their security clearances? Well,
1: I mean, there's a bunch of counterpoints to it, which is that, um, security clearances, there's a huge backlog in getting security clearances. Like if you're not super familiar with the process, I'm not super familiar with it. I've never had a security clearance. Um, it takes a long time to get a security clearance through. And if for whatever reason they need John Brennan back to talk about something, having him go through the process of getting a new clearance would be needlessly cumbersome for everybody involved. And in addition to that, when people are, well, he he doesn't need classified information. Well, having a clearance doesn't mean you just get any classified information. You know, you, you, want, you still have to have a reason to access that information, which he would have if they brought him back to talk about something. So right now, Having, if he had that clearance, that doesn't give him access to any information unless the government needs him. So the clearance doesn't really do anything unless he needs to do something with it, which is the thing they keep saying isn't going to happen, if that makes sense.
0: Exactly. I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, as you said, it's just the the example of um, this very well coordinated distribution of talking points that you know, the the distribution of the talking points is you can sort of take your hat off and say, wow, you guys really all, you know, took off uh, and are spreading this idea, you know, according to your plan, like you've clearly coordinated this and you're doing a, a good job executing according to that plan. But it's nonsense. It's just total nonsense. And it, as I was trying to say before, it's part of this um, broader agenda of Nihilistic questioning of the function of the American government. I mean, there are great, uh, as I was trying to say, like, it is good to challenge the CIA as an institution and the individuals who run it or ran it when they do specific things that are bad, like lying to Congress. That is something that you should be very aggressive in challenging uh, them for. You know, they are not elected, they have no constitutional role. And, you know, other than the extent to which Congress authorizes them to serve the American people. And so when things happen, like lying about hacking into Senate computers, um, you know, to like track down information that Senate staffers were mistakenly granted access to by the CIA, you know, Uh, the ins and outs of that particular story are very complicated, but, you know, on the subject of torture, right? Investigating torture by the American government. I mean, this is crucial stuff that all of the authority and integrity is on the part of the elected representatives of the people in the Senate and their designated staff who are investigating this topic. Um, And, you know, uh, Brennan was part of stonewalling that. So that's bad. That's very bad. That's something that needs to be addressed, but it's it needs to be addressed in a way that suggests that it's possible to address, as opposed to this like empty nihilistic tack that the Trumpet people take. You know, bizarrely that they take from inside the government. <laughs> it's just.
1: Well, I think uh, so. Man. What I part of what I find interesting about that is um, particularly the McRaven comment. I, I think. What is sort of the undercurrent to what why he would say that no one would question his honesty and integrity is that there's almost this assumption that people have um, that the head of the JA is going to lie to Congress about certain things. And so as a result, it's like, well, he's not you know a perfectly honest person would lie in this situation because anybody who's in this situation would lie about it. And that's not to excuse the lying about it. Um, I just I just note that because I think that the, that's this underlying assumption in the he, the minds of some people that allows them to have a blind spot for lying about something like that.
0: Yeah. Well, and the, again, they're you know, very complicated questions about, um, you know, I, I, mean, I, I don't think it was related to this particular topic, but there are all sorts of issues about, um, you know, if a, if a member of Congress asks, um Question about something that's classified in an open hearing, the you know, what is the right thing to do? If a if a if a intelligence official is asked in that context, they are in a, in a way forced to lie. There, I mean, that so that's a different topic. Um, on this particular aspect of the the torture report and this matter of the of CIA, um. Employees attempting to track the information that they had inappropriately released, and then uh, be you know responding to follow-ups on that. I think that's a that's a different topic, but um, yeah, I mean it, it's complicated. And is the thing; it's complicated. Yeah. Lying in the government is complicated because um, when you've sworn to protect secrets on which people's lives depend—literally, depend, lives depend. Which, you know, it's not, we don't know all the information about this, but um, some of the stuff about um, the Trump-Russia connection, arguably there was this spate of very strange deaths in Russia, um, uh, you know, that could potentially in the future be linked to this. And even if they're not, like, that's the kind of thing that could happen. um, Right if uh, sources and methods are revealed inappropriately. So, you know, very directly people's lives depend on secrecy sometimes. And then more broadly, people's lives depend on secrecy to the extent that the secrets are protecting operations or programs that are underway that are preventing attacks. Right. So, you know, the stakes are very high and sometimes um, integrity requires something that could be understood as a lie in in a certain context but um you know but but again that's that's a to- that's such a different level of conversation than we're able to have when these trumpians you know these trumpsters trumpkins are um you know are defending the president's actions with these with these nihilistic arguments about the deep state and um You know, Brennan doesn't need a security clearance because he's just part of the swamp. He's trying to monetize it. Um, You know, that that whole rhetoric is just so. Yeah, just it's just part of the um, general attack on the American government as such, not the particular things that the American government does wrong.
1: And part of what's problematic about the argument that oh, he's monetizing a security clearance is that you even state that is to concede that you are inflicting a monetary punishment on someone for criticizing you
0: yeah well and that's a, exactly that's a different a, a different line of attack but a, but a totally valid one right and where um, it goes back to it goes back to the like firing comey like yeah i fired comey because he was going into after the Russia thing i didn't want to i wanted to shut that investigation down it's like wait
1: but you just admitted that <laughs> did you see he trump said the same thing so after he revoked brennan's security clearance and they gave their like excuse for it he gave an interview to the wall street journal where he just openly said oh yeah it's about the russia thing no that's Brennan. i mean that's
0: that's what i was referring okay, to yeah, yeah I mean, he said the he same thing again. twice
1: both yeah. about comey and about brennan oh yeah I, I did this because of the russia investigation
0: right and he's he's bending his supporters again and again and again where they're so far down the the path now of compromise, and you know, that they've it's like they thought, Oh, well, I could just I just I'm only selling like 1% of my soul, <laughs> yeah, but right. that was, um,
1: but there's compound interest. Yeah, that was two years ago, yourself.
0: yeah, that was two years ago, and now they're like, Oh, wait, how much is left? No, it's it's yeah, it's just a terrible situation, but. I just hope that um i mean the thing is that like I don't know that much about it. i i had a security clearance uh once upon a time uh but it was very at a very low level and long since lapsed um and I know a little bit about the process but for these senior officials you know uh, as a result of this dynamic is you know this uh recent Conflicts I now have kind of i have a much better understanding, and one hopes that the Trump presidency can result in at least a little bit of light being cast out of all this raging fire, right you know there's smoke and heat, but hopefully some of the core issues will be revealed in greater, uh, you know, in sort of clearer light than they were before when people weren't thinking about them. Uh, one, one can only hope. Right. And I think, other well, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll hand over to you in a second, but I, I also think that we just, we have to hope. We are obligated to hope because it is such a such a luxury and such a such an assumption of moral debt to strike the pose of not having hope because what are we gonna do right like we have to act, I mean even if we don't actually feel the hope we have to act as though we do because the alternative is to give up right
1: you it's the, right? you, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Element. You have to take the shot. You have to try to accomplish the thing you're trying to accomplish because if you don't try, then you have a 100% chance of failure.
0: Right. And then the failure is so catastrophic. I mean, what are we talking about? The success here? Like, the success is um, in some marginal way, ideally a very significant way, but, you know, even if it's just a, a small incremental thing to to rescue our government and improve our country and so many people rely on that that again it just strikes me as a incredible luxury to um, you know to, to strike a pose of um, the, yeah strike a pose of kind of cynicism and um lack of optimism not that people are i mean that's what great I, I, don't, I don't you know looking at the country it, it it does seem that people are full of hope and um full of spit and vinegar in a really wonderful way right In a way that goes back to yeah. okay, whichever right. side
1: wins an election tends to be the side that loses its energy because there's almost this um Yeah, this there's this relaxation after winning an election like the Democrats had in 2008, you get all this hope together, you get all this stuff ready, you win by a big margin, you have a short window of your filibuster proof majority. And then what? You know, the other side got energized, the other side got engaged and they stopped being engaged because they thought, well, we did everything we were supposed to do and we haven't had our big changes yet. And part of the problem is because in order to get the really big changes you want, you have to win the White House and Congress and the Senate like 10 or 20 years in a row. You can't just you can't just go away after one election. And people want to yeah. do that because the natural think, thinking is, oh, well, we elected the guy and then things didn't get better. Well, we elected the guy and he's not fixing our problems yet. Yeah. And, of course, here with Trump, I mean, I feel like part of the problem is the problem people wanted fixed was that Um, they wanted to lash out at people and having Trump there lets them lash out at people so whether he accomplishes anything policy wise they've already got what they wanted he is a success to them
0: yeah well then people who um, I mean the the economic anxiety uh, narrative is a complicated and mostly wrong one because you know insofar as you look at the data and, and the people who are at the bottom of the poll economically, you know, did not primarily vote for Trump. Um, but uh, people who wanted their, you know, their 401ks to go up and said, well, it's the republic. you know, the Republicans are better for uh, for capital. You know, those people won, right? Like, they would have a lot of evidence to present right. to say, like, I made the right choice. Like, I don't care about other people. I just care about... It's, like, it's not that I... It's like, I don't care about the touchy-feely stuff. If the market, if the economy is doing well, everybody does well, right? People who stick to that argument would have a lot of evidence to present, even if um, the people who say, okay, the stock market is not the economy and real wages are actually way down after the tax cut, you know, they'd also have evidence. But um, but it's not, you know, this is the problem. It's, it's here I am trying to manufacture a disagreement between the two of us. <laughs> it's like it's not it's not just about um, the racial agreements, even if that's a probably a huge motivator of the most motivated base that Trump has. Right,
1: it's yeah. us disagreeing too. It's interesting because I feel like when when we disagree, we tend to disagree about relatively minor differences in things once we've really gotten to the weeds yeah um because that's where people who largely agree i mean that's just that's just the general <laughs> right. scale of how that works which is that right. you know if the scale of um if the scale, if, if you're talking about um who do you identify with and the scale is like um you know People who speak English in all the English speaking countries, and then people who, in, I don't know, a country that does not speak English, maybe like, oh, well, I, you know, I'm with the English speaking people. And then it comes down to like the country level. Okay, are you with Canada or the US? Well, I'm an American. And then you cut down to like, you well, will I'll, I'll
0: cut you off to give you a better example. It's, it's like, you know, the most important thing facing this country is to guarantee universal health care. Yeah, I totally agree with you. We definitely need single-payer. No, no, no. I was talking about heavy government regulation of private markets. Right. Wait, what? Yeah. You moron, you fool. Right. Yeah. It's... I mean, it's just it's it's insane that um uh, I was thinking about this the other day, you know, there was a wonderful uh, profile of Jimmy Carter hmm. um in the Washington Post that that uh, sort of talked about a day in the life of Jimmy Carter. Uh, Where he's still he's he's the only president who moved back into the same house that he lived in Hmm. before entering politics, and he's there with his wife of 72 years. It's just amazing, and you know he he like uh, they spend less money on his Secret Service contingent, they spend less money on his office. You know he's just a frugal, you know delightful, wonderful. Uh, humble man. Anyway, so I, was, so I saw that it came out in the post the other day, and um, it got me thinking again about the fact that, I don't know a huge amount about this, but it'd be worth going into. Um, Jimmy Carter, at least, some years ago, I think, I think it was in 2010 after the passage of the ACA, he said, you know, we would have had this 40 years ago if Ted Kennedy hadn't Sabotaged my healthcare bill in order to, you know, give him a, a stronger chance of beating me in the Democratic primary for presidency in 1980. And to the extent that that's true, it's a terrible indictment of this, you know, division on the left. That, and I think it is true. And I, I, again, I, I only cursel I didn't haven't read any books on this on the subject, for example. But I read a couple uh, Washington Post, you know, older pieces on it. And um, I mean, even Kennedy acknowledges that he, um, you know, pulled the plug on um, on Carter's bill. And and, but but he said, you know, it wouldn't uh, uh, Carter's bill wasn't enough and we needed to not go for incremental um, market-based solutions. We needed a, a full-on single-payer plan in order to um, guarantee that the most needy had the support they needed. You know, and seeing like seeing the hint that that debate went on in those terms so long ago was just crushing. It's it just struck me as so sad. Well,
1: especially when you consider that the part of the net result we get out of all of that is the Reagan years, known for their deregulation and paring back of the welfare state.
0: Well, exactly, exactly. And I, I mean, here I am uh, making the most predictable point, given where I am in the political spectrum. But it's just, it's just shocking to me how um, the, you know, people who. Who, again, as we were discussing a minute ago, share so much of so much in terms of goals and um, and fundamental values could allow themselves to be so riven by their choice of method in implementing those goals in policy terms. Well, it's, yeah. it's
1: the old. There are many ways to go forward, but only one way to go backward. Well, it appears there are many ways to go backwards, and very few yeah,
0: ways right. to go forward.
1: Yeah. Well, in terms of why liberals disagree so much when conservatives can agree more. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what the line. The line oh, is about okay. why liberals oh, yeah, disagree right, right. and conservatives yes, don't, yes. and it's just like yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. it's. Yeah uh anyway, we have reached about the end of our time here. We never got to the topic we were originally going to discuss today, which we'll get to at some future point um but I thought it was interesting to have a more meandering discussion today because there was a lot to catch up on. You didn't really catch up on things um but you know, we talked about communication in our episode where we never communicated a single thought coherently all the way through, so <laughs> that's really what this is all about so um Uh, Hopefully we'll be back next week and uh, covering whatever insane story has happened between now and then. Uh, See you guys next week. Goodbye.